Hi there, friends, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Amelie Andreas, and today we'll be joined by English major Gabri Lafrada. This conversation inspired me to finally read the original Frankenstein over a break, which was the center of Gabri's thesis, along with the more recent Frankistein, a response novel to Mary Shelley's classic. Enjoy this episode, and if you haven't, go read Frankenstein afterwards. If I can convince you, I know who will. Take it away, Gabri. My name is Gabri Lafrada, and I grew up on the North Shore of Kauai, um, in Hawaii, um, and I was an English major, and the name of my thesis is, or was, um, What is Your Substance? Where Are You Made? Um, gender, Sex, Bodies, and Love in Frankenstein and Frankistein. Ooh, I like, so we've got, <laughs> we've got one, uh, one text that people might be more familiar with, with this Frankenstein mm-hmm. here, it's the Mary Shelley classic. Yes. And then we have this Frankistein, which is at least new to me, potentially new to some of our audience members. Do you mind talking a little bit about uh, how those texts are related and, um, how this might be a little bit of a, a transformation or a continuation of this kind of classic text that we all know. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Frankenstein came out, I think, almost exactly 200 years after Mary Shelley's original Frankenstein Ooh. came out. Um, and it is basically a response novel to Mary Shelley's book. Um, and it kind of takes her characters and also like, her and her real life friends and um, kind of has two different storylines one being a historical fiction approach of Mary Shelley writing the novel and what this author thinks her approach was and what she was going through this time of her life Um, and then takes her like Frankenstein characters and puts them in like a futuristic science fiction type setting um, that is definitely more modern and um, kind of like changes their characterization up a bit and sees what those characters would do um, in that setting. Wow, that's super interesting. The other thing I was kind of wondering, because obviously the transformation we've got here is from Frankenstein to we're adding this like kiss in there, (laughs) which, and I noticed also in your thesis title, we've got some gender and sexuality. Um, I haven't personally read Frankenstein, um, but from just the general pop culture aura surrounding it, I feel like most people would assume that it's not, you know, a love story. So I'm curious, like where that part comes in and how that might have related to um, what you were unpacking in your thesis. Yeah, um, I guess there's like a small love element in Frankenstein um, where the main character Frankenstein is getting married um, and his wife is eventually killed by Frankenstein's monster. and so it's a very like tragic ending. Um, and then so like Frank Kistein kind of like picks up on that type of kind of not that relationship specifically, but just like lost loves and explores it both through a Frankenstein-esque character and then like a fictional Mary Shelley character. Yeah, Mary Shelley had like a very interesting and very sad personal life, if I remember correctly, right? Is that, so in Frankenstein, we're getting a little bit more of the the Mary Shelley behind the novel. How does that kind of um, affect how things turn out? Is that addressed in your thesis at all? 
Yeah, it definitely is. Um, because the historical fiction timeline in Frankenstein focuses heavily on her relationship with Percy Shelley and the like multiple miscarriages that she experienced like throughout her young adult life um, and while writing Frankenstein. And a lot of people think that like those experiences definitely like were heavily influential into writing the book. Um, and so the end of Frankenstein is both um, like the fictional Mary Shelley experiencing the loss of Percy Shelley and then this like futuristic timeline version of Mary Shelley experiencing the loss of um, Dr. Stein, which is like super veiled, <laughs> super veiled. Metaphor. Yes. <laughs> wow. So it kind of makes a little bit more explicit this link between the real or in Frankenstein historical fiction, Mary Shelley and um, her characters, which are in this case kind of more represented in this futuristic retelling. Yeah, definitely. So we've got kind of a little bit more background on these texts and maybe some of the ideas that you were thinking about. How did this come together into your thesis? I think I just always loved reading like fantasy and science fiction and gothic novels. Um, and it wasn't until my junior seminar class that I really like got to read those types of fun novels in an academic setting. Um, so we actually read Frankenstein and Frankenstein, and I just like absolutely loved that class. And I was like, I'm going to steal this and turn this into my thesis. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of how I got the idea and how the thesis came to be. You is Was that the first time that you had read Frankenstein or had you kind of encountered it in the past? It was the first time I had read the novel, like definitely like watched some movies in the past, mm -hmm. but really the first time I had read the book and it was very different from what I had expected because it's so mm. ingrained in our popular, like our pop culture. But I don't know, it wasn't until after I read it that I was like, wow, I like totally did not understand the plot of this book whatsoever um, before that. What do you think are like the key differences between maybe pop culture Frankenstein and real Mary Shelley Frankenstein that could kind of be distilled um, to people like through the podcast without necessarily going in and maybe inspiring them to actually mm -hmm. read the book? Yeah, um, I think that in my head, at least I was like, Frankenstein's monster is like a horrible person. Like he, there's no redeeming qualities. Mm -hmm. He's been portrayed as a monster. Um, but the whole middle section of the actual novel is like told in the point of view of the monster, oh, and wow. so just which I had no clue existed. Um, and the monster, like he talks about kind of like wanting to form relationships with humans and how he just wants to be loved. And also mm -hmm. um, his experience reading a bunch of stories and how that kind of helped him find his human identity. Um, and so he's a lot more, um, what's the word, uh, likable. <laughs> yeah, it almost sounds, um, it almost sounds like uh, Frankenstein's monster is the, one of the more likable characters mm -hmm. in the, the books itself. Yeah, no, you feel so bad for him and you're like, man, Frankenstein sucks. It's like, in this book, <laughs> he, there really aren't many redeeming qualities um, for his character. Does that carry through into Frankenstein as well with these analog characters or? you kind of do a little bit of a full 360 where you go from, you know, this pop culture idea of hating the monster and then humanizing the monster and then rehumanizing like Victor Frankenstein himself, or how does that kind of turn out? I think the Frankenstein we get in Mary Shelley's novel and the Dr. Stein 
um, that we get in Jeanette Winterson's novel, Frankenstein, um, are very similar in the sense that they are like consumed by their research and they let their research Mm. kind of affect their relationships with others. Um, So in the futuristic timeline, Dr. Stein is trying to achieve the singularity. um, So he wants to like fully upload his consciousness to a computer, (laughs) um, which a lot of that is horrifying to me. Um, But he kind of does not care that he'll have to leave his loved mm. ones behind if he were to do that. Um, and I think the Dr. Frankenstein in Mary Shelley's book kind of has that similar pitfall of like, I'm just going to achieve my research, even if it does harm those around me. Mm, yeah. So kind of like a little bit of that, um, that like mad genius or mad scientist trope going on. Mm-hmm, definitely. So you've kind of, you've, you've, you've ended up, um, tackling this text from an English perspective, uh, how did you decide that you wanted to be an English major? And did that, uh, was that impacted by your choice to come to read? Or is that something you've been knowing you were heading in that direction for a long time? Yeah, I think I went to call, went to read pretty set on being an English major, just because I was like, I like to read and write, and those are my two things. Um, And so I was like, an English major is the obvious choice. Um, I think once I got to read, I definitely questioned that a bit, you know, was like, ooh, maybe I want to be a classics major. Um, But I'm, I don't know, glad that I stuck with English. I think I want my future profession to be something to do with writing, and it felt that read gave me the most opportunities to improve my writing um and so that's kind of how I ended up here yeah no definitely it's a great um like focusing in on on reading and writing is just like it can't be a bad idea because that's just the medium of life and communication like that's how mm-hmm. that's how people interact with each other is through the the written or spoken word exactly. um and read does a I feel like read does a great job at uh at, at treating it that way did you have any like um kind of influential English classes that made you decide like no I'm not doing classics I'm gonna stick to the English this is where I'm meant to be yeah um I think one of my favorite classes I took was called the dead and undead with Laura Liebman um mm. and that was just such the cool coolest class um because she combined kind of like the reading and writing of your typical English class with digital humanities and just kind of showed how it can be updated and like applicable to this like current technology. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was also just very fun. Her projects were um, so open-ended, like the midterm was like, do anything on the dead. And then, (laughs) which, you know, it's huge. And then um, Mm -hmm. the final was anything on the undead, which is, yeah, like also huge. Um, so there's a lot of room to kind of do whatever I wanted with that. Oh yeah. I love a I love a good open-ended final. <laughs> yeah. And we also had to watch uh three episodes of the vampire diaries for um a week. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> I love it too. Like, I definitely else? had a vampire diaries phase sometime <laughs> in middle school that um I would be happy to revisit it in an English class, I have to say. <laughs> Is that the class that you were introduced to um, these two texts, Frankenstein and Frankenstein, or was that just a coincidence that um, there's some some cool dead and undead stuff going on throughout your your uh, your schedule? Um, I think just a coincidence because it was junior seminar that I read Frankenstein mm. and Frankenstein for the first time. So it just kind of all came together at the mm-hmm. end to form this wonderful thesis. <laughs> 
Exactly. So what did an average day working on your thesis look like? A lot of reading, a lot of writing, just sitting and letting it all sink in, all of the above? Yeah, a lot of um, reading at first, honestly, to procrastinate from the writing because it felt Mm -hmm. really overwhelming. Um, I think I definitely fell into the like, oh, I'm going to read some more. I'm going to keep reading some more so that I didn't have to write anything. Um, and then my advisor was like, you know, there there is a deadline for this first chapter. You better start <laughs> writing. Um, but yeah, I think I was lucky enough that there were several days in my schedule that I didn't have class. So those were kind of my thesis days. Yeah, it always blows my mind um, when I'm interviewing people on here and they remind me that your thesis year, you're actually taking other classes as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I can't imagine um, doing uh, even just a three credit course load and also having this like amazing giant project that is a part of your life. So always been very impressed um, with the juggling that goes on. (laughs) I definitely recommend to take fun classes. (laughs) So that way you can have your fun classes and then do thesis work. That's what I did. Lots of creative writing Mm -hmm. classes my senior year. Oh, very cool. And I feel like that would just feed back so well with what you were doing with your thesis work as well. Sounds like a good way to spend a good way to spend your last year at Reed. Do you have any like advice that you would give to um, beginning of your senior thesis, Gabri? Um, oh, man. I think the advice that I was told, and I think it was helpful to feel less overwhelmed by this is that ultimately thesis is just another class, like it's one credit. Um, And so like, yes, you should care about your project and do hard work on that project, but um, don't let it consume your life is I think the advice that I was given by a professor. And I think that that was good advice. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I feel like a lot of times, you know, even before I was admitted to read, all I was hearing about was thesis, 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 thesis. So yeah, sometimes it's good to take a step back and realize that um, there's many other things on your transcript. <laughs> One that you need to worry yeah. about and two that you can you can um, have as backups in case things don't quite turn out how you were thinking. Speaking of not quite turning out how, how you thought, did you have any unexpected challenges uh, while you were trying to go through this thesis process? Oh man. Um... This this wasn't unexpected, I guess. It was just like bouts of writer's block um, definitely was the issue. Um, I think a lot of English majors experience that because it is just you're mostly reading and writing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think my thesis advisor, Gail, was so helpful with that because she was like, no, you're not going to ignore this. Like, you're going to sit on Zoom with me and talk out your ideas. I'm going to keep asking you mm-hmm. pressing questions until you kind of like, get over that block um so yeah I'd say that was the biggest challenge I faced and then also just like general tiredness from the pandemic and everything else that was happening that year and yeah juggling that with being like oh I still need to do schoolwork yeah what was it like doing an English thesis during the pandemic because a lot of other um majors I know were impacted like quite directly you know like they either couldn't carry out their experiments or couldn't do like their creative final project. Um, But I'm imagining that uh, even though, you know, you'd still be able to read and write, there's, there's other kind of 
um, rippling effects that you might have experienced? Yeah, I think I was definitely very lucky to not like have the pandemic affect my project specifically because I still could get access to the books and sit and write my thesis. I think the biggest struggle was um, just having to sit in my room and write it. Um, mm. That was Yeah, I think it was just kind of hard to be like, well, my bed is right there and I could just go watch Netflix instead of like sit at my desk that's two feet away. Um, yeah, so I think that was definitely the hardest part or like the most impactful yeah yeah the um, the pandemic work-life balance struggle is real a professor told me that she like would throw a blanket over her desk so that she could <laughs> look at it and would have to like reveal her desk in the morning um when it was time to go to work and I thought that was honestly a great idea oh, I love that the the new pandemic commute is um yeah, revealing your desk dramatically from under the mm-hmm. blanket you fit in of the night. Put your desk to sleep at the end of the day as well. It deserves it. Put your desk to sleep. So what ended up being the outcome of your project? Um, do you think that you're going to continue similar research or uh, do you think you're kind of done with that chapter and moving on to, to different things? Yeah, I um, am hoping to eventually edit it down to a publishable paper because I really enjoyed my like thesis work yeah um that would be so ideal um but I think at the moment I'm just taking a break from thesis and academics in general um I think it's good to pause think about what I really want to do in the future get a break from the read bubble or I guess not really because I work at the admission office but get a break from the academic yeah, bubble. It's, it's a different perspective on the bubble, you know. It's for, you're looking from a different angle at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of so you mentioned before we started officially recording that you uh have a cool read opportunity that you're working on right now. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um so I was a student worker for the admission office since my sophomore year and they often will hire one to three um graduating seniors for the year-long admission fellow contract um and you get to be an admission counselor for a year um so I yeah I applied was hired um, and it's been really fun so far yeah (laughs) just happy to have a job (laughs) Mm, yeah no that's a big one have you taken any of these skills or things that you've learned from your thesis, whether that's like content wise or more of these abstract soft skills um, into you, into this, you know, kind of next adventure? Yeah, I think um, definitely learned valuable time management and like project management skills over the course Mm -hmm. of thesis. So that'll definitely be helpful. Um, And I think it's also fun to just kind of keep talking about my thesis. Um, to prospective students because a lot of the times they'll be like oh you graduated what did you write your thesis on and that always turns into a fun conversation so you mentioned that you kind of might want to after after this admissions opportunity go back into um something more like writing or reading or editing related um do you want to talk a bit more about that or maybe like uh what the dream in five years plan would kind of look like Yeah, I think right now the dream is to be a publicist for a Mm. publishing company. 
Um, hopefully like a small one. I don't really want to go work for a massive publishing company. Yeah, keep it local. Like if I got hired by exactly <laughs> if I got hired by Tin House, like that would be amazing. Um yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping for now. I feel like it often changes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um so part of me is like maybe law school, and the other part of me is like maybe uh try to be a creative writer full time. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Exactly. Do you have, um, kind of as a little close off, do you have any advice to listeners who are starting their thesis um, or any kind of like culminating thoughts on the thesis or read experience? I think um, just for basic thesis advice, do your reading as early as possible. Mm -hmm. So all the research is out of the way. Um, That was the advice I was given. And I definitely didn't listen to that advice. Mm -hmm. But now I'm like, don't don't do what I did. And uh, let's see, closing. Yeah, I think um, that, yeah, that would be my main thesis advice. And I think just having um, graduated during the pandemic, I think that overall just made me much more appreciative of kind of my like read experience um, mm-hmm. and what was still able to happen during those last two years. Um, and I think it, I don't know, made me more thoughtful of the past years that I looked back on. I was like, wow, that was like a great education that I had. And I'm really happy with the friends that I made. So I guess I'm just thankful overall for my experience here or my closing remarks. Well, I personally am very grateful to you, Gabri, for taking the time to come on to our podcast and share about your thesis. I'm also pretty sure that if the library runs out of Frankenstein books in the next couple weeks, it might be your fault. And thank you as well to all of our listeners who took the time to tune into this episode. I hope you'll join us again to hear from more alumni and students about what it means to burn your draft. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janiga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member and class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast start by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.